This is Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics, the law, and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson. I'm joined today by the show's co-host, Joe Armstrong. And we have, as always, a lot of law, politics, and some things arguably in between. Joe, what is the topic du jour? Hello, Jessica. Topic du jour. We are going to talk about the ongoing legal and criminal fallout from the insurrection at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. from January 6th of this year. As we all remember, several thousand protesters stormed the U.S. Capitol after two months of lies by the former president that the 2020 election was stolen. These claims remain demonstrably false. But nearly a year after that election, Jessica, according to the most recent data I could find, approximately two-thirds of Republicans continue to believe that Donald Trump won the 2020 election and that the current president, Joe Biden, was not fairly elected. And it is into this climate that we will wade into the most recent developments in terms of holding those accountable for that deadly event. There are four aspects of this we're going to discuss today, and they are the House Select Committee on January 6th looking into the former president's culpability, the concept of executive privilege, a number of subpoenas for former Trump administration officials, one of whom is Steve Bannon, and finally, contempt. But let's begin with the House Select Committee. The selection of the members of that committee was not without drama. That committee is comprised of nine lawmakers, seven Democrats, two Republicans, all of whom were appointed by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi rejected two of the five GOP members put forward by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California, but the committee was formed and set to work. Their first hearings were held in July of this year. Now, Jessica, what did the House Select Committee, what were they asking for here? Yeah, a lot. And I love that you gave a roadmap for what we're doing here. And so the first thing, of course, we start with what did this House Select Committee, in fact, ask for? And so back in August, they requested documents from the National Archives. And the documents, in my mind, basically fall within two buckets. The first bucket is everything related to what I would say the big lie, trying to overturn the valid results of the Electoral College. And then related to that, the second bucket, which of course isn't entirely separate, are the events leading up to the insurrection in the Capitol. And so they're asking for everything from social media messages to visitor logs, phone logs, videos, uh, photos. They're really asking for all documentary evidence that could help shed light on, again, what do we care about? What did the president know? When did he know it? And what did some of his key former officials know? And when did they know it? Okay, so the headline in the media, Jessica, Biden declines Trump's assertion of executive privilege. But bring us beyond the headline, Jessica. What did the Biden White House decide about the concept of executive privilege when it came to former President Donald Trump and why? So when it came to this particular batch of documents that was requested by the House Select Committee, the Biden White House was like, "Mm, yeah, no. I don't think so, meaning I don't see that this batch is in fact covered by executive privilege. So President Trump had said, no, no, don't release these documents to the National Archive because they're covered by, I think the line from his lawyer's letter, and I'm relying on memory, was basically executive and other privileges. And the Biden White House said, no, for the following reasons, that executive privilege, which we'll talk about more in a minute, 
It's not justified here because the letter from the Biden White House says, quote, it's not in the best interests of the United States. Why not? Another quote, Congress has a compelling need to understand the circumstances that led to these horrific events. And then another quote from this letter, the documents shed light on events within the White House on and about January 6th and bear on the select committee's need to understand the facts. The White House here really doesn't mince words about what the House Select Committee, Joe, is looking into. They say, and here's another quote from part of this letter, Congress is examining an assault on our Constitution and democratic institutions provoked and fanned by those sworn to protect them. And then what this White House letter says here is really that the conduct that the House Select Committee is asking about, they say, quote, it extends far beyond the typical deliberations concerning the proper discharge of the president's constitutional responsibilities. What does that mean in plain English? It means that there are times where a president is engaging in deliberations as part of his responsibilities, part of his constitutional duties, and sometimes that we should keep those deliberations private. But in this case, what we're talking about here is a president who might, in fact, be trying to subvert the Constitution, subvert our democracy, undermine a peaceful transfer of power. So that certainly should not fall within executive privilege. For me, that's really the punchline of why um, the Biden White House said, no, we're not. We don't think this falls within executive privilege. Alrighty, so those are indeed some strong and very carefully chosen words. But in typical Trump fashion, Jessica, we all know that he is not going to go gentle into that good night. So what happens next? So what happens next, I believe, and I'm saying that because this doesn't, in fact, happen every day, is that the National Archives is going to get another formal assertion from Trump saying, no, no, this is really covered by executive privilege. They let the Biden White House know. The Biden White House says, no, no, really, we do not think this is covered by executive privilege. And then we're off to the courthouse races, potentially, because Trump could file a lawsuit against the National Archives. I think that's a long shot. I read up on this. A lot of other people think this is a long shot. So where should we be going with this? We should be going to the place where eventually the National Archives turns over this information to the House Select Committee. And the House Select Committee is able to look at what I think would be really a trove of really useful information. All right, then. So I think this is the time to define executive privilege as clearly as possible as a concept. So Jessica, what is it exactly and how does it function in our government? Yes, uh, there's actually no specific and concrete answer to this, in part because if you've read the Constitution, Passing Judgment listeners, you know that there's no line that says executive privilege. It's not in the Constitution. It's this idea that's judicially recognized, that meanings that judges recognize it. And it's the Supreme Court really saying there's this privilege that includes communications, quote, in the performance of a president's responsibilities, where you might not want that information 
those communications between a president and his high-level White House advisors, for instance, to be turned over to the public. Now, why not, you might ask? I mean, this is a president who, again, is head of the government, not head of a private corporation. And the idea is that you want presidents to be able to have advice where people know I'm giving the president the best advice or the president is able to ask maybe really sensitive questions without fearing what will this later look like if my political adversaries get a hold of it and release this to the public? That there are some issues that are just very sensitive, maybe based on national security concerns. That's often the main reason we're talking about executive privilege, where we want the president to be able to get information unencumbered by, will you know Congress later ask for this? And ask questions and deliberate in a way where I think we all kind of understand this. Sometimes we want to think through problems without thinking, you know, what would the public think of this moment if all of the information was released? But it's really not a well-defined privilege, and it's really a balancing act where we're asking, does the public's right to obtain this information, again, about the inner workings of their government, this is a government for the people, does that outweigh any concerns dealing with, for instance, national security. And it really is a balance where, you know, transparency on the one hand, uh, potentially national security concerns on the other hand. Okay. So when it comes to executive privilege, Jessica, who can assert it? Does it have to be just a sitting president? So I'm going to say there's some gray areas here. I think that the weight of the legal authority would indicate it really should be a sitting president because he, or at some point she, as an elected official and the current occupant of the Oval Office is really in the best place to try and determine if there's a compelling reason to provide the public with this information or if there's a compelling reason to keep this information private. Now, what happens in this case is basically the former president, President Trump, is asking the current president, President Biden, to assert this executive privilege on his behalf. And, you know, again, it's gray, but the Supreme Court did say decades ago, more than four decades ago, that the current president is, quote, in the best position to assess the present and future needs of the executive branch when it comes to uh, particularly these issues. So, it's really, I think, it's up to the sitting president to try and make these determinations, both potentially for himself and for past presidents. Okay, then. So as we've discussed on passing judgment many times in the past, a new policy or change in policy for something like executive privilege doesn't just benefit the party currently in power, but due to the law of unintended consequences, it can be an exercise in chaos theory as well. So what are the potential consequences to Biden as well as future presidents when it comes to blocking this assertion of executive privilege? So this is something that, Joe, you and I talk about a lot, which is basically the broader idea is how much is a current president worried about setting precedent for 5, 10, 15 years down the road? And how much do we have to tackle these issues like the insurrection in the Capitol and say, maybe we shouldn't be so worried about the long term because maybe this was really a dress rehearsal coup and we just need to get this information out there, which is maybe a long way of saying, Joe, that presidents are typically loath to weaken executive privilege 
kind of for obvious reasons, right? It's something that protects them and they don't want to weaken this privilege both, you know, for themselves and for their successors. So Biden's White House, I think we should look for the possibility that they will, in fact, assert privilege on behalf of former President Trump when it comes to some of the future requests by the House Select Committee. And again, because Biden is looking at, well, if I waive executive privilege in this situation, what does that mean for me later? Or what does that mean for my successor later? And um, again, on the other side of this, we have people saying, I know, but this is a really unique circumstance and we need to have this information. Basically, let's deal with the precedent later. Let's just allow Congress to try and find out for the American people exactly what happened on January 6th. All right, Jessica. So it sounds to me as if Joe Biden has found himself in what might be a lose-lose situation. If he does indeed grant executive privilege to the former administration, the Trump administration, Donald Trump, he could ruffle the feathers of his Democratic base. And he's certainly not going to gain any more Republican votes no matter what he does. So he has got himself into what might be a pickle. But Jessica, my next question is more specifically about Trump in this situation. And that is, what is Donald Trump's argument concerning executive privilege even based on? So... I'm going to try and characterize it, I hope, fairly. And I think the argument, frankly, boils down to, well, I was the sitting president when these events occurred, and therefore I want to read executive privilege as covering virtually everything dealing with what I said, what I did, who I saw. Now, I'm sure others would say that my opinion lacks nuance, but we have seen the president try and stall out on subpoenas, the former president, and we have seen him say that executive privilege covers, frankly, a lot more than I think it ever was intended to. But I think it really boils down to, well, there's this thing called executive privilege. I was the executive, so no congressional committee. You don't get that information. Now, that may be kind of the crux of the legal argument, but Joe, as we know, a lot of the arguments that former President Trump makes in legal filings, I view more as political arguments. Yeah, Jessica, knowing what I know about the former president, he loves words like executive and he loves words like privilege. And you put him together, executive and privilege together in one phrase, and you've got what he believes to be a golden ticket. So there are some other players here, Jessica. The committee also sent subpoenas to four former Trump officials. Let's start with Steve Bannon. He's the former chief strategist to Donald Trump, also worked on his campaign. And whether or not a congressional subpoena carries any weight in a post-Trump world. Yeah, this refusal to comply with a subpoena by Steve Bannon is particularly maddening from my perspective because I just don't think he has any basis for his refusal to comply. So basically, Steve Bannon, as we know, was a advisor to President Trump, and he left the White House in 2017. The events that we're talking about here, Joe, of course, occurred in 2021. So he was not a member of the White House for a number of years. It's not like he had just left. But what he's saying here is, well, former President Trump has told me not to respond to the subpoena. And I think I'm covered by executive privilege. So I'm going to go ahead and not respond. Now, how he could possibly be covered by executive privilege, given that he wasn't, in fact, a member of the White House, that he was a private citizen, And for all of the other reasons that I don't even think much of what 
President Trump said or did should be covered by executive privilege, it really, I think, indicates that we're not, I don't know that we're really talking about serious legal arguments here. Again, I think what we're talking about is a strategy that really is more political. Okay, then. So what are the House's options here, the committee's options, if Bannon and others stonewall them and these people fail to comply? So there are a couple of options. There is this option that hasn't been used for about a century, and that's for the House to use its, quote, inherent contempt power. And that would basically mean they say to the sergeant in arms, okay, here's a picture of Steve Bannon. He hasn't responded to a subpoena, so go ahead and find him, detain him, and potentially imprison him. Now, that sounds, frankly, in some ways, you know, there's something compelling about that. But it hasn't been used for 100 years. I think it would be hard for the House to say, suddenly we're using that. And it isn't what the House Select Committee says it wants to use. Instead, what they want is to basically make a criminal contempt referral to the Department of Justice. So, Joe, what would happen is that first the House Select Committee would vote and say, yes, we want to make a criminal contempt referral. Then the full House would vote. Then they would say to President Biden's executive branch, the Department of Justice in this case, we think that you should prosecute Steve Bannon or whoever else doesn't comply with the subpoenas. And the Department of Justice would then make its own independent determination. Now, Joe, as we've kind of been alluding to a couple of times, All of this takes time, and sometimes when you drag your feet in responding, even if you don't really have a legal basis for doing so, that can, in fact, be a political win. All right, Jessica. So we've been watching Donald Trump in the political sphere for over half a decade now, and if he's good at anything, he's good at dodging accountability. So for his part, what options does he have? Is this one of those situations where Trump could win without actually winning? Yeah, so this is kind of the theme that we've been talking about a little bit, which is Trump delaying, Steve Bannon delaying. And that's how I think you can kind of win even if you lose, which is the House Select Committee in this case has said, we want to wrap this up by the spring. Now, I think that's a political calculation, right? They're going into the midterms. I think there's the feeling that the American public doesn't maybe want to hear about this, quote unquote, forever. And If you, as former President Trump or Steve Bannon, know that there's this timeline and you know you can, you know, delay, 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 and then fight in court, you can basically tie up these questions in court so long that even if you don't have a good legal argument, uh, you're probably not going to have to either respond to the subpoena or respond in full. Now, we're also in a situation where the House Select Committee would like to depose some of these key former White House officials, uh, somebody in the Department of Defense, former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, of course, Steve Bannon. And the depositions bring up slightly different issues, but it all, I think, still falls within this idea of, are we going to respect congressional subpoenas or not? And I would hate to see that the president had said that, you know, if you don't want to respond to a congressional subpoena, basically just 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 try and wait it out because the House committee is going to lose its patience. And, and Joe, the last thing is I feel like it's a little bit of echoes of the second impeachment where, you know, the House 
just couldn't wait for some issues and just decided to move forward. I think we could see something like that again. All right, Jessica. So in the end, Trump could win by running out the clock. And I know how much you love your sports references. So we will go with that. Thank you so much, my friend, for helping clear some of these issues up. Yes. And I suspect this will not be the last discussion we have on the House Select Committee. I am sure that is the case. So if you want to find Jessica and what she has in terms of thoughts about these important issues, you can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Levinson Jessica. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Day. You can find our podcast on Twitter at Past Judgment Pod and on Instagram at Passing Judgment Pod. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful autumnal day. 